Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, anxiety, emotion regulation. I am in my comorbidity series. Last week in my discussion, I was talking about ADHD and anxiety. I touched briefly on oppositional defiant disorder, which I'm going to focus on for today otherwise known ODD. Um, And I was talking about how I've never actually met a kiddo with ODD, despite many of the kiddos that I've seen have actually been given the diagnosis, Um, you know, but I've never actually seen, I don't, there's always something underlying it, right? If if there is a kid, all kids want to do good. And if they can do good, they do good. And if they're not doing good, it's because they can't do good. Something else is going on. And in every single one of the ODD, and I'm putting air quotes if you're not watching me on video, every single one of them had this underlying anxiety. And that's what I wanted to focus on today. It's actually what made me think about doing the comorbidity series because there's so much going on for these kiddos. Some internalize it, which we see is more classic anxiety, what we think of, but a lot of kiddos externalize it, right? So first, let's just make sure we're on the same page. What is ODD? Essentially, it's when kiddos, they really exhibit these angry, cranky, irritable sort of moods. Um, They're negative, they're defiant, they're disobedient, they're not listening. Uh, They can be hostile. It can look like really vindictive behavior that they have, you know, trying to seek revenge um, and especially towards authority. Now, all kids get defiant every now and then. Absolutely. We see it in toddlers. We see it in teens. Those are kind of the two big ones that we see for sure it happening. Um, You know, these are the kids who'll say no, they'll argue, they'll disobey, they talk back. All kids do at some point, right? But this is to excess. We might see temper tantrums. We might see swearing, using hateful words. Um, These kiddos are often easily annoyed, really easily frustrated. But for these kiddos who are actually diagnosed with these behaviors, um, you know, it's not just the typical once in a while, it's occurring more frequently, it's more intense than what we would expect of kiddos, right? And they're way more disruptive in kiddos functioning. Um, But we always need to know what exactly is causing these behaviors, right? Of course, there's some genetic factors that accounts for about 50% of developing ODD. And I can't wonder about the environment then too. So if there's a genetic piece, there's probably a lot of modeling piece too. And I'm always talking about it has a lot to do with our environment, anything that we're talking about, whether it's anxiety or ODD. But usually when we see these kiddos who are diagnosed with ODD, there is someone else in the family with some sort of mental health uh, challenge, right? It could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be a personality disorder. We also know lots of um, ADHD parents, right? Um, A lot of ADHD kiddos or kiddos with learning challenges also exhibit this ODD behavior. But there are a lot of environmental things that contribute as well, like family fighting, when we've got parental psychological control over kids, um, when parents can't express their emotions very well, or they're they're having trouble managing their own anxiety, their own depression, they're not able to follow through with discipline consistently, 
Um, They don't have a lot of structure in the lives. So there's just lots of chaos, any maltreatment, um, you know, there's those kinds of things. Peer influences can really contribute as well. Any exposure to violence, that's another major contributor. Actually, you know, some people would say that ODD really is this learned behavior. And I do see that sometimes where kiddos do have a lot of violence in their life. They're, They're exposed to a lot of violence, whether in real time, real life sorts of things. But even some of the, you know, things that they see on video games, um, I don't think kids should be playing Call of Duty when they're, you know, six years old, even 12 years old. Um, But no matter what, no matter what is going on with all of the kids that I've ever worked with, there's been underlying anxiety and it just comes out as this tough guy sort of routine. Um, It's important to look at the biological processes because there's definitely differences in the brain that's happening that can make the emotion regulation really challenging for them. I'm going to make it really simple. You know, I'm not going to go too much into the brain stuff. There's lots of different reasons why the brain is associated with both ODD and anxiety. So we know that there's certain neurotransmitters that aren't working properly, which means the brain isn't communicating with itself. That's what we see in a lot of things. Why like ADHD, for example, there's high comorbidity with that as well, because the dopamine, the messengers aren't being able to get to where they need. So the brain's not talking to itself and the deficits in the executive functioning that can increase the chance of a kiddo who's going to go into an overreactive reaction to any situation, right? And it, their, their overreaction is very disruptive. Um, We know that the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex looks different in both the ODD and the anxious brains. So the amygdala that I've talked about in pretty much every podcast, it's important for being able to process all of our emotions and the emotional significance of input. So sensory input, for example, any social stimuli, whatever's going on in the environment. And there's these reciprocal connections with the prefrontal cortex, which again, remember, it's it's important to help stay calm, make good decisions. It's our problem-solving part of our brain, thinking rationally. And that connection is really important to be able to integrate both our cognition and our thoughts with emotion, right? And so it's essentially helping us try to figure out how do I behave in this situation, Now, if there's a disruption in that connection between our cognition and the emotional brain, the emotional brain is stronger. It's always going to take over. So we're going to get hypervigilant. We're going to go into that automatic fight flight response, right? And so we see that with the anxiety with our anxious kiddo. If they don't think that that situation is going to pan out very well, it's very ambiguous. I don't know how to act. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, We go into fight and flight. And with some of these kiddos, they will run away. Those are internalizers, but some will fight. It acts out. And so we see aggression. We see opposition. Those are their responses when anxiety kicks in. And we know that that amygdala gets really activated if if they're angry, if they're scared, you know, if there's anything that they're facing that's nerve wracking, that anxious brain is going to take over and it's just going to register only the negative, only the potential threats. And so when they're anticipating being judged, being laughed at. This is too hard. People are going to think poorly of me. That amygdala just fires up so much um, that it's it's really the anxiety. And it, it, it actually fires up even more so than just our anxious kiddos 
but for sure, kids who aren't anxious, it's just that happy triggered sort of, um, uh, amygdala that's going off all the time. So, so if the kiddo has that overactive trigger, happy amygdala, and then this underreactive ventromedial prefrontal cortex, when we're looking at the different parts of the brain, I know I said it wouldn't get complex, but we're going there. It often goes hand in hand with anxiety and ODD, right? When we've got that going on, they're, they're just going to be way more likely to react aggressively to a situation than a kiddo who doesn't likely because they're misperceiving the situation is threatening. And so of course, if we're threatened, we got to get big. I'm, I'm always using the example of if I go hiking and I think there's a cougar, I'm getting myself big and aggressive and threatening, right? And so if we're feeling threatened, we're going to fight, which would look very much like an ODD kiddo, right? Or run away and freeze which would look like more like an anxious kiddo, but not every child will freeze or run away. So a lot of these kiddos, they experience trouble in biases and processing social information. And that's why we see the power struggles. And, and especially in those social situations where they're disobedient and defiant, especially towards authority, right? When Whenever there's any threat, there's biases in how they're processing that situation and that social information. And so then how they respond behaviorally, it's greatly affected by their cognitive processes. So specifically, our anxious ODD kiddos, they tend to interpret any ambigu um, ambiguous situation, anything that they're not really sure about, they tend to interpret it negatively all the time. That's just their bias. So our anxious kiddos, they tend to experience the biases, of course, of catastrophizing. It's the end of the universe. It's the worst thing ever. Or they're expecting the absolute worst outcome. Okay. Um, or they're personalizing, which means they're attributing outcomes to the situation solely based on themselves. And it's always going to be something threatening to me. They're making a nasty face. It must be something about me, right? Um, they tend to overgeneralize, meaning one single negative event is indicative of all future things to come. I failed this test, so therefore I am a failure. I may as well drop out of school now, right? So, so these are examples of information biases that these kiddos have that get stronger with age. And if they're just experiencing more and more experiences of negative situations and negative feedback and all of these labels, it's just going to get worse over time. And how they handle the situation, that's aligned with, with whatever their interpretation is. So an anxious kiddo, they tend to misinterpret those sort of vague, ambiguous situations as harmful. Something bad is going to happen. So I got to avoid it at all costs. Our oppositional kiddos, they tend to interpret the situation as threatening. Okay, so, so the threat inherent in us, we are going to get aggressive. That's what's going to help us defend ourselves from the cougars or from whatever else is going to eat us. So when we feel threatened, we fight. That's what we do. We are way more aggressive. We find more aggressive solutions to the situation, which is exactly what our ODD kiddos are doing. So it's not just that this is scary and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. This is threatening. And so therefore I need to protect ourselves, myself. So we know our anxious kiddos are already hypervigilant to threat for sure, right? And so all of these kids, and especially our ODD kids, 
uh, there's this attention bias where they're only paying attention to potential threats that are going on in my environment. So that's the encoding stage. So taking in information, only information that could be a potential threat. So there's a bias there, okay? Just taking in information. But then there's a bias in the interpretation stage. So we've taken in this potentially threatening information. And now we're also misinterpreting it, right? So whatever the situation is, I don't know exactly what's happening. It's very ambiguous. It could be one of a million things. So we are interpreting it always as threatening. So I take it in as threatening. I interpret it as threatening. Now remember our brain, it likes to fill in the gaps, right? So if we're not sure about a situation, right? I'm always just saying like that conspiracy theories, when we're not sure about uh, what's going to happen or what's involved, that ambiguity. For our anxious kiddos, they're always going to fill that gap with something scary, right? And, and we're going to attribute others' actions, and especially if we're thinking that this is a threatening situation, we are going to assume that they've got hostile intent, okay? So there, there's some threatening um, intention that they have towards us. And especially with our ODD kiddos, any authority, right? Probably because they're getting so much corrective feedback all the time. And so any stance of authority is very threatening for them. Um, so, so in taking it in, it's misinterpreted. Interpreting it is misinterpreted. And then we've got kiddos who also have memory biases, right? We remember that that um, amygdala is right next to our hippocampus, which is where our memory stores are. So they've got a memory bias when they're recalling information. We're only best remembering all of the negative elements of a situation. The last time an adult came and spoke with me, the last time a teacher spoke with me or a parent spoke with me. So for our ODD kiddos, they're remembering all of the negative words, all of the angry faces, all of the times they've been in trouble. That's what they're remembering. Okay. So our ODD kiddos, they're processing all of this information in biased ways. Anxious kids do as well, but the ODD kids, well, they, they probably have way more experiences to draw from in their memory stores of all of these negative situations in the first place. So they're also processing the, this information in biased ways. So they're taking in information, registering it, and misinterpreting any ambiguous social cue as being hostile. What would you do if you were responding in a hostile situation? You would be very threatening probably, or you would become aggressive to protect yourself, right? And so when either our anxious kiddos or ODD, I keep putting air quotes here when I say ODD, when they're registering something as hostile, all of their attention is going to go straight to that threat. And then they're missing any other contextual cues that could help them figure out oh, they're not trying to be mean. Oh, I'm actually in a safe situation, right? They aren't seeing any of that. They're only seeing threat, 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 interpreted as hostile. And so when they're feeling threatened, they're going to overreact and they're going to take the strong, confident, aggressive stand, just like I would do with my cougar, right? If I see a cougar, I still have not, thank God, seen one in the wild by myself. Thank goodness. But even though I'm terrified, I get, right? big and strong and aggressive. And that's what we do. That's our human nature to take that aggressive stance. That's their reaction. They have to have it for survival, right? I can't sway, right? As soon as I panic and run away, that cougar is going to chase me. Now we're in cat, cat, mouse 
prey, predator prey sort of situation here, right? I cannot sway in my bigness. I cannot sway in my aggressiveness. I have to hold my ground. I've talked about that one story of another psychologist that I've heard who told the story of where his elderly father was in the shower and he could hear his wife screaming and he came out of the shower running, dripping naked, the 70 year old man to see a burglar, you know, um, attacking his wife had a, a knife, I think to her throat. And so he made himself big and get out of my house to scare this burglar away. And sure enough, he did, you know, nobody wants to hurt anybody unless he was stalking them like a cougar would, right? But ran away. Now he, that man, poor 70 year old man is terrified. As soon as the burglar, the threat was gone, he just dropped to the ground sobbing, right? In his birthday suit, he was terrified, but we make ourselves big and aggressive. It's gonna save our life, right? And kids are no different. And we see this. So our ODD kiddos, they tend to encode all of that social information inaccurately, right? And then they tend to engage in aggressive ways of being able to handle situations. So both the anxious kiddo, the ODD kiddo, they process information incorrectly. And all of those negative interpretations of the situation, um, and they're assuming, you know, this malicious intent from everybody else around them, right? So they're going to become hypervigilant. They're going to see only those threat-related cues, and that's going to fuel their response. So hopefully that kind of makes sense, right? So there's other things, you know, both the ODD and anxious brain, they share a pathway in which that threat response um, part of the brain. So the amygdala, it's more likely to respond than our rational thinking brain, right? The part of the brain that's supposed to regulate the limbic system and calm that emotional brain down is under responsive. So the over-responsive threat response, the stronger emotional brain, the under-responsive calming down brain, we're going to see overly emotional responses that are way more negative in nature, way more aggressive, way harder to control, right? And so these emotionally dysregulated kiddos, they're going to exhibit that anger and frustration and irritability, even the basic things, basic instructions, just simple requests than other kiddos, because it's way more threatening, right? So then when we've got a kiddo who's overreactive, and especially these kiddos who overreact in aggressive ways, how do you think other kids or other adults are going to respond to those negative outbursts? Not very well right? And so now the people around them are going to maintain or even worsen the already emotionally dysregulated child. So that's going to fuel their reactive behaviors even more and, and give them more experiences of hostile, negative, angry people, right? That I got to protect myself against even more. So they've never had the chance to have other models, of helpful responses, right? Or being able to practice helpful emotion regulation strategies themselves because other people are getting upset with them. That just re-triggers their alarm and it's just going to make them more reactive the next time and on and on it goes. And actually, I've just worked with a, a kiddo recently who's not in a great situation, right? There's a lot of family conflict going on. Um, and he's, he's got these models of yelling and fighting and aggression. And so, uh, one day he was in my office and he's got this tough guy, you know, sort of facade and he's coming in and he's like, you don't talk to me. I'm going to kill you. You know, he can be, be really shocking and people, then adults are, oh, you can't talk to me. Right. We're just going to be elevating that. But he was, he's so determined. I don't know. 
you know, just to maintain this tough guy because that's his protective shell, right? He's trying to protect himself. And so he was building a tower. He got, I got some cool toys out and he was building a tower and he's like, I'm going to smash this. And sure enough, he broke it and made the huge crashing sound. I'm sure everybody in the office is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And he fell down. He wasn't expecting that. So it kind of surprised him and he fell down on his back. And I came forward and right away, he put on this face, this big scowl, angry, don't come closer. I'm going to fight you face. And I came right up to him like, dude, are you okay? And the shock, he just paused. And there was just a moment of shock. And, and I could see the, the little boy under there, the little child who needed nurturing, right? He's just putting on this tough man facade. And I could see it underneath him, the soft underbelly of, and then, yeah, I'm fine. And he brushed it off, but I could see underneath and I could see the shock of my response was not what he was expecting. He was expecting another adult to say, you need to be careful. You clean up this mess. Now you got to, you know, pay for these toys that you've broken, blah, blah, blah. It, it seemed like it was one of the first times someone actually said, dude, are you okay? What's going on for you? And he changed, he shifted right around. He was engaging. He was talking. He still had his furrow. He still was holding that, that tough guy sort of uh, body posture, but he was now talking and engaging and realizing this is a safe place. And that's why I always talk about in the moment, we got to create that safe place. Even though his words were shocking, even though he was breaking the toys and causing all this chaos, he just needed to know that he was still loved, still accepted. And I'll be getting to the treatment side of things, but that's just a great example. So when we're looking at these pathways, I really question the ODD diagnosis. Everything that we see that's actually happening in the brain is the exact same things that are happening in the anxious brain. And I know when I say this, I'm going to ruffle a lot of feathers, especially parents and teachers who have a kiddo in their life, who for sure have ODD, have that diagnosis. And I hear it all the time. Oh, Caroline, if you just saw my kiddo at home, or if you just saw this kid in class, you would definitely see the ODD, right? And some of you might think, well, you know, she just doesn't know, right? She's just not worked with these kids. I have, I promise you, I have. I've worked with kiddos who punched me in the face, knocked my glasses, broke my glasses off. And other people are calling security. I'm like, no, like this is a trauma kid who's seen very traumatic things. The one actually who punched me in the face. I mean, he found um, his mother had suicided and he was the one who found her body. That's traumatizing. You can't tell me this is an ODD kid. He is protecting himself, right? So we got to think about that. I know some of you, though, are going to ask me, well, why don't all anxious kids look like they've got ODD? I bet they do have moments where they do look ODD-ish at home, right? I bet that there's times, but we all respond differently. Everybody responds differently when that anxiety shows up, right? And for some, anxiety can actually, actually buffer the aggressive response because the stronger response is to cling to an adult or to run away. And so we might not even see the aggression because their stronger response is to do something else, right? And we tend to see that in younger kiddos, right? Where it is clingy, but they do have that sort of defiance in there too. Uh, it's way harder to do for our tweens and teens and, and, and more work is certainly needed. 
needed. Um, but that's something to think about. And, or some are just so anxious of breaking rules so that they would never even think about, you know, being aggressive. But when we're considering a kiddo um, and their temperament and how their limbic system works and everything that's going on in the brain, they might actually just biologically be more or less likely to respond either fearfully or aggressive, right? So, but just because they're responding aggressive doesn't mean it's ODD right? There's just so much overlap between ODD and anxiety and, and depression as well. So, so really, you know, when I'm looking just like I do with anxiety, I take a trans diagnostic approach because there's so many shared psychosocial biological factors that contribute to them. And it's so hard to say, yes, you for sure have this thing or no, for sure you don't have this thing. It's not like medical things, like for sure you have diabetes, yes or no. There's no absolutes. And that's the problem with a lot of these diagnoses, right? There's a, a spectrum. Everybody looks a little bit different. And so that's why we need to take that trans diagnostic approach to understand what is going on for this child. A label does not help us do anything. We need to figure what is going on for them. What's the function of the behavior? Why is this behavior coming up? That's the information we need to know so that we can help support them, right? And so um, just to step back, because I know I keep talking about this transdiagnostic approach, and I've actually had a few questions over the past few weeks about what I mean about this transdiagnostic approach. And I think that that's going to be really important to think about, not just for anxiety. As I get into future episodes, when I talk about autism, for example, I'm talking about this. So rather than focusing on a specific label like generalized anxiety, social anxiety, separation anxiety, ODD, right? Um, with anxiety, I just say anxiety is anxiety is anxiety. So I think people assume that I mean that they're all the same. Well, yes, yeah, sort of. That's not what I'm getting at, though. It's not that we need to get caught up in what are they scared of, right? That's just content and we're going to spin our wheels. We're not going to get anywhere. We got to focus on the process of how we address what's going on for them, what's going on for them, and how do we address that through the process, whether it's they're scared of dogs or putting their hands up in class or whatever, it doesn't matter. The process is the same. There are some differences if we are looking at more of a disgust response, that's a little bit different in our work, right? Um especially disgust response when it comes to things like needles, you know, we, our blood pressure drops. And so we need to actually do a few more things just to keep our blood pressure high. Cause that's a time where we might actually pass out, but generally speaking, the process is the same. I think where people get confused though, is when I talk about different diagnoses altogether. So it's easy to say anxiety is anxiety is anxiety, but by taking a trans diagnostic approach, essentially what I'm really focusing on is the commonalities among different diagnoses rather than the differences. So the commonalities, for example, since we're talking about ODD, ODD and anxiety, because there's a lot of overlap between those two. And so we want to be as uh, parsimonious as we can, having a parsimonious, simple explanation of what's happening for this kiddo in this context at this time, rather than give, giving a kiddo a gazillion different diagnoses, right? It's what's the pattern of what's going on for this kiddo and how do we best support them in the real world? A label doesn't tell us what that is. So that's why we got to do this. So we're not focusing on the label. We're focusing on the mechanisms, right? That the dimensions across the diagnoses. And so with ODD and anxiety, we see a lot of overlap in emotion dysregulation. 
So we got to address that information processing. We got to address that, right? And I'm going to be getting into those. Um, we do know, so I've talked a lot about the brain and there are shared um, etiologies, right? And looking at the processes for ODD and anxiety as well as shared risk factors. So temperaments, for example, the, the, those are the biological differences and how kiddos tend to behave in different situations. So are they going to respond more emotionally than other kiddos? Um what emotions are most likely to show up, right? Are they going to be more fearful or sad or frustrated or angry? Each of those are going to manifest differently behaviorally. If I'm, if I, my temperament's more on the sad tendency versus the angry tendency. And so part of that temperament is whether or not we're going to be um, socially responsive to others. Are we going to try to seek closeness with them when we're upset? Or are we going to try to push everybody away from us? When we react, though, we also need to think of self-regulation, which is, you know, emotional regulation falls under that. But, but that's also part of a kid's temperament, right? What is their effortful control? Meaning how well can they stop their automatic response to make a different choice? And that's why we see so much ADHD and ODD overlap, right? Because they don't really have the capacity to do those. So if a kiddo can hold back, I'm really angry, just breathe and make a good coping choice in the moment. Wow. First of all, amazing. We know they have strong effortful control because they can do that strong executive functioning skills, good impulse control which our ODD kiddos do not have, right? And that's why we see a lot of ADHD kiddos with ODD. They just don't have that. These kiddos have high levels of emotionality, meaning big emotional reactions to events, but low levels of effortful control, meaning they can't help it. They can't control. They can't create that pause to think about, I'm angry. Hold on. What's the best decision in this situation? They don't have it. They can't manage those emotions in the moment, whatever come up, and they're going to engage in immediate behaviors. It could be problematic internalizing or externalizing behaviors. So internalizing avoidance, running away, externalizing that aggression, right? So our internalizers, they look way more fearful. They look more like they're anxious, right? Our externalizers, they look uncaring, aggressive, manipulative, non-compliant, okay? Okay. So I, I'll get into that a little bit more too, but in our diagnostic criteria, it always says that the diagnosis is given if it can't be better explained by something else. So that's why we want to be as parsimonious here as we can be, right? Is it really ODD? Mm, is it ODD and anxiety and ADHD and DCD and, 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 or is that ODD better explained by unrelated ADHD? And all the corrective feedback and all the frustration and the shame that comes with that, because it can make it really hard to continue being compliant if you're always being nitpicked. Johnny, please put your dishes away. Hey, Johnny, go put your shoes away. Hey, Johnny, go brush your teeth. I already told you, hey, bud, go brush your teeth. Even if we're talking super nice like that, it gets really defeating for them. If just nothing they do is ever good enough, good enough. Um, is it ODD or depression? depressed kids, they're checked out. They're unable to muster any strength to do anything or care about any punishment that's going to dole out to them. And if they're also feeling threatened, they're going to push back. In all of the years, in all of my work with all of these kiddos, I've always found a better explanation than ODD. 
And the biggest explanation I've consistently seen, even more than ADHD, ADHD certainly, and all the emotional dysregulation deficits that come with that, the biggest one that I see consistently in every child that's ever had the diagnosis of ODD is anxiety. And we know that the majority of our ODD kiddos actually do meet criteria for an anxiety disorder at some point in their life, right? And there's a lot of research out there showing that anxiety actually preceded the ODD. So they never got the supports that they needed in the first place. And so that's why we got to put up these walls. And I've talked about the one kiddo, right? From six years old, just realized I have to be the bad kid. I have to be the tough guy because nobody is going to help me. Nobody's going to help me against the bullies. Nobody's going to keep me safe. They weren't able to cope with their anxiety. Other people weren't able to help them cope with their anxiety and they learn to avoid and they'll do anything to avoid. And then they learn that those big behaviors increase the chances of them of being able to avoid. The more I fight, the less likely I have to go walk the dogs, right? It becomes this learned behavior. And so I've seen these ODD behaviors, they manifest, it was anxiety, not treated, right? So anxiety precedes that ODD, right? And they're, and they're protecting themselves, which you're going to hear me say a lot. You've already heard me say a lot in this episode, and I'm going to continue saying that. And especially now you've got burned out parents, they're frustrated parents with the anxiety, and now with the ODD, right? If there's an older child or a teenager who's not grown out of it, oh my gosh, now that frustration and burnout, parents just get to their limits. And so I see that direct, ongoing, constant emotional distress that leads right to the externalizing ODD behaviors because nothing else has worked and I haven't been able to do anything. So up goes that protective wall. So we know that an anxious kiddo is at way more risk of receiving an ODD diagnosis later on than a kiddo who's not anxious. So how can we not say that they go hand in hand? And it's far worse when their anxiety is not treated effectively. So we really got to get on this. I'm always talking about early intervention. Let's get on this. Um, There is also a lot of support saying that ODD precedes anxiety potentially too, but there's usually something else going on, right? Like trauma in a kiddo's life or exposure to lots of violence or or things like that. But we're really seeing this co-occurrence of ODD and anxiety in which they're developing, if, if not one before the other, anxiety, certainly there's a lot more support for that, but maybe they're developing at the same time which makes sense because there's shared underlying processes that are happening in the brain, right? We see in both of these diagnoses that are contributing to their onset, but also in their maintenance. And I have so many parents who do have that fearful, frightened child who's avoiding and running away, who are also at their wits end. And so guess what we're seeing now? Big, defiant, oppositional behaviors. So, I mean, all this to say, yes, we need a lot more research. We're still learning about the brain. There's still always more to learn about the about the brain um, to really understand the directionality of those diagnoses. But we really can't rule out the anxiety. And we really got to start with that anxiety because a behavioral plan working on the positive behaviors isn't going to help if we're not addressing that underlying anxiety. So when you've got a kiddo with ODD and anxiety, So before I was just talking either or, but when you know for sure you've got both, 
I mean, even though I would just say it's just more severe anxiety, but their clinical presentation is way more severe, especially in those tween and teen years, you know, academically, socially, at home, across all contexts. And so we see these kiddos at far greater risk for other psychological challenges, substance abuse, affiliation with deviant peers. And I've seen this, you know, where kids coped and coped and coped as best as they could, but it's not working. It's not working. It leads to big behaviors. And then it's just, I'm going to go with the other kids who get me. And they're usually the ones out on the street doing drugs. And and it can be really tricky, right? Especially once they start um, self-medicating. So these anxious kiddos, again, easily frustrated, irritable, they'll go to great lengths to avoid anything that they're not certain about what those outcomes will be, to go to great lengths with anything that they don't know for a matter of fact that they're going to be successful with. And you better believe that their fangs are going to come out if they feel threatened, right? I love actually um, having people look up YouTube video, If um, Mad Cat Burger and Fries. I'll put the link um, in the show notes as well. I love it. In it, you're going to see a vicious, vicious cat growling and snarling, vicious. You don't want to go anywhere near that cat, right? Um, I would play an audio clip for you now, but it will blow out your eardrum. So just go and look out that video, but it's a vicious, vicious cat. It, It sounds vicious. It looks vicious. But when you really look, it's a scared cat. It's somebody's cat. It's got a collar and it's in a shelter, right? It's scared. It doesn't know who is there, if they're going to be mean, where I am, not my safe place. We become aggressive when we're in danger. It's inherent. It's an inherent natural response for all of us, humans and animals alike, right? Especially when we're stressed out, especially in those ambiguous situations, especially when we're overwhelmed and scared. But even when we're in pain, right? The example that I often give, you've probably heard me say this before, you know, is if we stub our toe or we hit our head, we usually respond in an angry shoot, right? We usually swear and we get angry. The pain part of our brain is triggered. When I go for a hike, like I said, with the cougar, I get big, I get loud, I get aggressive, even though I'm scared out of my mind, but that's what humans and animals do to protect ourselves, right? And so some kiddos, they're constantly protecting themselves from being embarrassed in front of classmates, from failing a test, from being rejected, from doing something stupid, right? And we know that every single um, anxious child, they manifest that anxiety in different ways. So hopefully you're hearing this message over and over. I didn't want to just say it once because it's just one and gone. I really want you to think about this, especially if you're working with an ODD kiddo, you have an ODD kiddo in your classroom, or you're a parent of an ODD kiddo. It's really important, right? So it's just, you know, these kiddos, You, yeah, maybe it's nice to have the internalizers who just go quiet and withdraw and go to their room. They're increasing their own distress, but our ODD kiddos are increasing everybody else's dis- distress, right? Because it comes out in those disruptive ways. But I would almost say, that I prefer those kiddos because I know that there's something going on for them with the internalizers. We don't know always, they're not always vocalizing that. So my, I have two, right. I've got the turtle in the hailstorm, the turtle who will always go and hide in her room. Everything's fine. You never know what's going on with her. Those are the kids that I'm worried about because they're not expressing it at all. They're like little pressure cookers. 
right? Or I've got the hailstorm who's just bah, 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 you know, everything on every single second of what's going on. Yes, in the moment, it's way more distressing for me, right? Because of all of the, ah, the chaos and the arguing and the anger and everything that comes up. But I know what's going on for her and I know how I can help. Um, and, and, and with these kiddos, I mean, they have a lot of significant anxiety. It's all based on anxiety. It's just overshadowed by something quite significantly different, big behaviors that result from that anxiety, right? And it's way harder to respond in nice, calm, loving ways when they're screaming that they hate us and they're going to kill us and they're going to rip everything apart and break everything that matters to us. It's really hard to be loving and gentle and kind, right? With those. And so we're just feeding this vicious cycle. Now, if a kiddo was expected to go in front of the class and present in front of everyone and they started crying or having a panic attack, we would respond very differently than the kiddo who's swearing or yelling or kicking the desk over, right? Or hitting the teacher or trying to, you know, especially if the teacher's trying to block them from leading the classroom. They're both anxious. They're both scared. They're both trying to avoid the situation. We wouldn't block a panic attack kid. We would let them go to the bathroom. We would let them go see the nurse. We would let them go to a calming area. We wouldn't yell at them. We wouldn't send them to the principal's office or suspend them. We, we, you know, we just wouldn't do that. We wouldn't ever label a shy kid or a kiddo with selective mutism as defiant when they don't speak up in class. But we would with the behavioral kiddo. And when, when they are the ones who are always constantly bombarded with those reprimands and upset, they're going to be way more fierce to protect themselves. And think too of the kiddo who doesn't follow others' instructions and they just seem so, so stubborn because they're never going to compromise, right? Oftentimes their behaviors are really unpredictable. They have these huge outbursts that seem to come out of nowhere, but also think of the really anxious child who needs to have that predictability. We'll avoid anything at, at, at all costs because they're so scared of the uncertainty of what's going to happen. They're both being rigid to protect themselves from the unknown, from the ambiguous situation of what's to come. And when, you know, with anxiety, we know it's based on something so irrational that it's, it, it, it's sometimes, you know, no predictability in the world is ever going to get an overwhelmed kiddo, right, to calm down. <clears throat> if they're overwhelmed with fear, they're just going to go into this anxious tailspin, right? And so just like the unpredictability of ODD, those behaviors seem to come out of nowhere. And it's in both cases, there's this sort of nervousness, this fear seeping below the surface, right? It's just waiting for something to trigger it so that they can come out and protect themselves. And even with revenge behaviors, I actually did a 30-day, I do have it, um, I've got a link to it, a 30-day parenting challenge. I did it over the pandemic because I know just a lot of parents were going bonkers with all their kids at home. Um, and I had a little series on behavior. So I'll leave the link to that, those short little videos. And I have some resources that came along with that. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but I talk about different types of behaviors. And one of those behaviors was those revenge behaviors, which we often see in our ODD kiddos, right? So when they're exhibiting revenge behaviors, which we see in ODD, um, they were hurt. So the primary function of revenge behaviors is first always to protect themselves always, but they also want to show other people just how much they hurt them, just how hurt they were. So it's just kind of that, right? 
Um, I'm going to get into the functions of behaviors uh, in, in, in a second, but first I just want to mention a couple of um, lesser of the symptoms of ODD that maybe we don't always think of because it's really easy to focus on the fighting and the anger and the defiance and the lack of accountability. But we often gloss over the fact that these kiddos usually don't have a very good self-esteem at all, right? And, and many really have a hard time making friends. So it's a really lonely world out there. All the more reason that they need to stand up and fight for themselves, especially when it doesn't feel like anyone is on their side. They're getting it from teachers. They're getting it from siblings. They're getting it from their parents. No friends, no teachers who are on their side. These people are always getting mad. Parents are always getting mad. Who's on the child's side? I would fight to the end of the earth for myself if I was in that situation or I'd give up completely. At least these ODD kiddos are still in the game. They haven't given up completely, right? But that's just one step away. And so how could there not be a ton of anxiety underlying everything here? When you're always under the stress, always under this overwhelm, people are on your case. Nobody seems to be taking your side. It takes a major emotional toll on a kiddo. So they lash out. That lashing out is linked to extreme anxiety. They're also very, very sensitive to corrective feedback, right? We know that there's differences in their brain. Anything that they could perceive as criticism is enough to make them lash out. Even when someone's trying to be helpful, right? You just like, hey, bud, I'm like just trying to help you get your perfect shot or write that letter, whatever it is, right? And when a kiddo's criticized and anxious, they're going to run away or they're going to fight. Their fight flight system is activated. When you've got an overly sensitive kiddo to corrective feedback, it's always going to be fight or flight. And sometimes we see it even when we're trying to praise them. They're not going to hear any of it anyways, if, if that fight flight system, even if you're just trying to help them. So we've got to think about where those outbursts are happening, right? It's easy to see anxiety when a kid's freaking out when there's a fire drill that goes off. But what if there's no clear-cut sign? Are they melting down? Are they lashing out? Is it their nervous system's overloaded? You know, is that why they're engaging in some sort of disruptive behavior? Maybe they're feeling panic attack symptoms, right? Um but so they are just going to aggress, right? Or it's just an over-top sort of tantrum that they're having. Taking some data can be really helpful. Does it always happen right before recess? Maybe there's stress about who they're going to hang out with before recess. Is it always right after lunch? Maybe something happen happened with the classmates, soccer. Don't let boys play soccer. <laughs> it's always that. Is it on a test day? right? Is there some test anxiety happening here? Is it at the end of the day because they're so overwhelmed with all the demands of the day and the homework and other kids, you know, and they're just their emotional battery and executive functioning batteries drained, right? Or are they looking forward to going and seeing that movie that just came out with a friend? So maybe they're overexcited. So to be effective in our work and supporting these kiddos, we absolutely first have to understand the function of the behaviors and even more importantly, the function of emotions. The emotions drive our behaviors. Their nervous system is overwhelmed. And when they're overwhelmed, they're thinking rational, keeping calm part of their brain is offline. And then they don't have the capacity to cope or to calm or to follow instructions or to do the things that they need to do. And when our kiddos are angry, Anger is an important underlying factor in both internalizing and externalizing uh, behaviors, and by extension, anxiety and ODD. 
how children regulate their anger is particularly important when we're understanding the comorbidity of things like anxiety, ASD, ODD, ADHD. That's really important. And with an ODD child, right? Again, those air quotes, because I've never really truly met an ODD child, even when they are ripping my glasses off when I'm just trying to say hello, right? All of those situations, there's usually some impulsivity with the anxiety. So it's understanding those mechanisms. That's how I am going to get into for next episode, how to help these kiddos. But like I said, it's really a lot of that anxiety. Okay. So they have to put on that act like they don't care about anybody else because then nobody can hurt me like they're better than everybody else. Cause then, you know, nobody, people are going to be intimidated and they're not going to bug me like they have no respect for anyone because nobody's on their side and they can be hurt. Right. But when I see these behaviors and when I see these aggressive acts, and when I see their angry presentation, it's there to protect them. Anxious kiddos. That's pretty much the point. I hope you've heard this message, right? Uh, I think that that's really important. Because even that time that kid punched me in the face and security came, I could see the fear mixed on his face. It was a, I was leaning in to say, hello, like, Hey dude, I'm so excited to see you. He immediately punched me and I could see the fear on his face immediately in the shock. He didn't mean to do that. Right. I suspect he's been manhandled in the past and he's just so overwhelmed. Right. And I was coming closer to him. It just, it just, all of these things, he probably it disrupted his routine coming and we we're going, it was in a hospital. So it's already bright lights. Right. I think there was just so much overwhelm. Me coming just a bit too close was just a bit too threatening. And that's the needle that broke everything. It was those compounding factors and he felt threatened and he reacted instinctively to protect himself. Remember, there's no such thing as bad kids. I can't say that enough. Right. If they can do good, they're going to do good. And if they can't, they're not doing good. It's because they can't. It's near impossible for them to do. Even if they're a class disruptor or the wallflower who disappears in the background, they're overwhelmed, they're over-emotional, they're dysregulated, they shut down, they melt down, or they lash out. Any of these are signs of anxiety. So we you got to hear that. And I hope you've heard me say that point, right? It's the, the point to take away from today's episode. They can't do good. What's going on for them? What can we do to help support them so that they can? In every situation, the situation is stressing them out. They're overwhelmed. They no longer have the capacity to cope. And going one step further, when they can't cope and they need to find a way to protect themselves, we're going to see those ODD. That's why we call them ODD. They're protecting themselves. I know I've talked about it a lot. So I'm sorry that I... uh, keep talking about it, but I think that that's really important, right? To, to, to really think about, because when we only ever look at these big behaviors, you know, we're just managing those, but we're going to miss something. We're going to miss what's happening, right? So we're reprimanding them. We're rewarding them. We're punishing them, right? Based on their behavior, based on their anger. But again, how, what are we doing to address that scared child who's trying to protect themselves? So breaking those emotions into different parts is really helpful because we can see those emotions are really complex and it can really help us understand why kiddos are reacting the way they do. So until we understand the emotions and the functions of the emotions and the functions of those behaviors, it's going to be really hard for us to respond in helpful ways. It's going to be really hard for us to respond so that they can react differently. 
right? So if you've got a kiddo who shows a lot of anger and you've got a lot of experiences of anger, right? So um, Johnny's friend cheated at Monopoly. When you go through the steps of validating and labeling and deeping deepening that conversation, you might find, yes, there's anger, but the anger is a secondary emotion. What's the primary underlying emotion? It's fear, right? There's underlying fear there. It could be that I need to win to keep friends so they don't think I'm a loser. Um, Sometimes there are, you know, sometimes there are rigidities and we definitely see that in our neurodivergent population where there are just other, I need the sameness piece, but Sometimes it is that fear, right? So it's just, you know, I could give a million examples of how we could break it down. Uh, We could see a teenager yelling at his parents on the phone, right? And so he's yelling at his parents because they're saying, you come home right now. And he's like, I just need another hour. Maybe his girlfriend just dumped him. And there's just so much overwhelm of disappointment and hurt and fear and sadness going on side and rejection. So when you've got nagging parents saying you're late, get home now for dinner, it's going to be retaliated against. I just need a minute to breathe. So we really need to stop and become aware of what's going on for the kiddo, for the teen, or the other adult that we're dealing with, because they can be dysregulated too. Even when that stress comes out as a huge, angry, disrespectful, rude, mean, hurtful outburst. Right? Keeping their cool, calm, and collected part of their brain is offline when they're upset. They just don't have that capacity to respond in any other way. They're responding the only way they can right in this moment. And so it's up to us to stay calm, up to us to be their co-regulator for them. So I'd say the first step in all of this is really addressing the ODD diagnosis and really understand that even though we think of the symptoms as defiant and oppositional, these kiddos have really complex presentations. And so we really need to look at what's going on for them, where those behaviors are coming from, how can they better be explained by something else that's underlying everything? Because if we only see that ODD disrespectful, uncaring, manipulative, defiant, jerky child we're never going to be able to do things differently. And they're going to continue being that disrespectful, uncaring, tricky, manipulative, defiant child. They're never going to be able to regulate effectively and never definitely in the heat of the moment. The assessment piece is beyond the scope of this podcast, but definitely, you know, do reach out if you have any questions. I've got lots of training options around proper assessment diagnosis, differential diagnosis. Um, You know, it's not about rating scales and symptom count. Never accept a diagnosis or, or give a diagnosis based on a rating scale, just a rating scale, right? A thorough clinical structured interview has to be done. And we have to look not just at behaviors, but anxiety and mood and other commonly sort of co-occurring diagnoses that we see with this, Um, making sure that we're investigating specific symptoms that we see in kiddos too. The one key piece that's often missing is investigating all of those underlying processes that could be happening. So we need to go beyond just the symptom count, right? We need to ensure that we've got specific assessment tools to address underlying processing difficulties. Could be language processing, cognitive, processing speed, 
emotion dysregulation, emotional ability, they're, you know, all of these kinds of things. Are they processing information in biased ways? Are parents overprotective and controlling? We got to look at that. All of those pieces need to be looked at. Um, I do like considering self-report scales, even with our adults too. I know that it can be really tricky, but even with our kids, and, and it might be hard if they, they lack some emotional awareness, but going through that can be really important. Um, we need to consider their developmental age. Sometimes we just expect so much more from a kiddo than that they can actually do. And I think older siblings are at a detriment when their younger kid siblings are starting to surpass them or don't demonstrate these behaviors. But, but those behaviors are a direct result of where they're at developmentally, not their age, developmentally, what's happening in their brain, which is why, you know, we see these terrible twos in the two-year-olds when they don't have their language skills to be able to manage their emotions and express themselves effectively, right? So their, their reactions to those emotions are going to be big behavioral outbursts. But we see those terrible twos going into threes and fours and fives and six. And for all of us, it doesn't matter how old we all are, all of our brains regress developmentally almost, right? When we're upset, making it so much harder for any of us to respond in helpful ways when we're really upset. And it's definitely true for our kiddos and our teenagers, especially whose brains really regress back to that of a child's. So taking this all together, if I have to summarize it, I think you know what my summary is going to be, right? We got to see those underlying processes. And we know the underlying processes of anxiety and ODD are nearly identical. Both have trouble controlling their emotions, right? Um, our, our anxious kiddos tend to over-control their emotions, but if they turn out to be more oppositional, they don't have the capacity. And so it just comes out, right? They under-control their emotions. Both are highly emotional. Neither have good effortful control. Both attend to the wrong information in their environment, right? Both interpret that information, that ambiguous situation is threatening, and neither can pull positive sort of pro-social uh, memories to help with pro-social solutions when they're problem solving. Our anxious kiddos respond with avoidance. Our ODD kiddos respond with avoidance, but it tends to be more impulsive and more aggressive, right? So I think that that's really important to, to look at too. Um, I've already talked a little bit about the differential diagnoses, but just in how we are responding to different, um, if we're thinking about it as anxiety and seeing that emotional dysregulation, it's going to really help us when we get to intervention. That was a lot. I've talked a lot pretty much the same information, but I hope you've really understood and you're starting to think a little bit differently about ODD and, and the emotional needs these kiddos have. So I will leave it there for today. Thank you for joining me. Next week, I will actually get into ODD treatment and what do we do here? If you've heard me today, you're probably going to know what I'm going to say next week, but definitely tune in next week. And like I said, I've got lots of things in the show notes, including the training, differential training um, that I've got going on, as well as um, the, the parenting challenge and resources that go along with that. So enjoy the rest of your day and I will see you next week. Thank you.